Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, here we go. Good to see you this morning, church family. And for those of you who are joining us on the live stream, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. Join me in Psalm 23 to what is perhaps the most challenging message in this entire series. Philip Porham was, uh, well, still is actually an Anglican priest. He tells a story about this rich industrialist entrepreneur type who had this whole feat fleet of, of fishing boats, his fishing company, and, and he became frustrated with this little mom and pop fisherman that he found sitting on the side of the docks, just sort of waiting and, and sitting there and enjoying his life. And he said, what are you doing? And this little fisherman said, well, I've, I've caught enough for the day. And he said, well, there's still enough daylight left. You could go out and catch more. He said, I don't need any more. And the entrepreneur said, well, if you caught more, you could make more money. And the fisherman said, well, then what would I do? He said, well, then you could buy a bigger boat, a better boat. Then you could go out deeper. You could catch bigger fish. You can make even more money. The fisherman said, well, then what would I do? He said, well, then you could buy like better nylon nets, and then you could catch even more fish, and then you could go from the boat you have to a better boat, to bigger boats, to more boats, more numerous boats. And he said, then what would I do? He said, well, then you'd have an entire fleet of boats, and then you could enjoy the good life. And the fisherman said, you mean like exactly what I'm doing right now? <laughs> See, there's a, there's a propensity in our culture toward dissatisfaction. We've been talking a lot about peace. What's it mean to live at peace? We've been applying that to some of the trouble that our society and the world at large has been experiencing over the last 18 months or so. How do you have a heart that's tranquil in the middle of a world that seems like it's coming apart? And what we've had described for us throughout this series is a peace that really will see us through. It's a peace that will refresh us and give us times to come apart and really uh, kind of quiet our souls. It's a peace that will walk through with us through the, the, the hardest of times and even through death itself. And this morning, David's going to circle back to this, this theme of satisfaction. That's the kind of peace we've been talking about as well together. It's where God calls us to live. I'm satisfied. I'm thankful. This peaceful heart comes from a, a place of contentment that is independent of, of what my circumstances are. How fat my wallet is, how my banking app is doing, how my health is doing, all those kinds of things. And that means for most of us, we probably have some serious work to do, if we would just be honest. Because we, as I said, we live in a culture that, that really encourages us to do the exact opposite. Amy Bernstein, the current editor of the Harvard Business Review, has been a journalist actually for many, many years. And prior to her role currently, she wrote an article describing the angst of our culture around this question, what would it take for you to achieve the American dream? I wonder if I were to ask how many people could actually define the American dream. In fact, I wonder how many different definitions there might be in this room of what constitutes the American dream. Somewhere along the way between 1776 and somewhere around the mid-1950s, that dream stopped becoming primarily 
about individualism and freedom and started becoming a whole lot more about your economic standing and whether or not you've got that three-bedroom house and that white picket fence and those 2.3 kids and that dog, didn't it? And so Amy Bernstein said, what's it going to take to get there? And again, this is several years ago, so you've got to adjust these numbers for inflation. But those households that were making roughly $50,000 a year in total income said it would take $100,000 a year for them to get there. You want to know about the $100,000 folks, people that were making $100,000 at that time? They said it would take an average of $192,000 to achieve the American dream. Bernstein concluded, in other words, the American dream usually lies nearly twice the distance away. No matter where you are, it's, it, 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 you're chasing some golden goose. I want you to contrast that sort of national sense of unease with the phrase we're looking at this morning in verse 5 of Psalm 23. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Period. Full stop. End of discussion. I, I, look at that. All right. Two things are being connected here, anointing and abundance. All right. The abundance is not in what I have. The abundance is in here. Oil and satisfaction. And this is where we go wrong in a culture that worships money and material success. And we, we have two extreme ways that we tend to do this. There's one group that worships money by always seeking more of it and thinking there's something inherently righteous about always getting richer and always getting better. And, and those folks would tend to have a disposition like this. If you're wealthy, if you're rich, if you have everything you need, it's because you work hard, it's because you're an honest person, it, it's because you've made the most out of the system before you. And if you're poor, it's because you're lazy you're dumb, there's something wrong with you. Then there's another group that it's exactly the opposite. If you're poor, you're the righteous one. You're the one that, well, you're just a victim of whatever. And if you're rich, you probably swindled somebody. And the interesting thing about Scripture is when you go to God's Word, never in so much as a syllable does it tie your righteousness to what you have or what you don't have. There are righteous, poor, and unrighteous poor. There are righteous, rich, and unrighteous rich. And so the issue is not who's going to win the latest class warfare game. The issue is to understand that, that God sends that goodness down on everybody. So we start by just saying God is good. Amen? God gives these blessings to the righteous and the unrighteous. Look at just two references to this. James tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then Jesus, big brother Jesus, kind of backing up baby brother James here in, in Matthew 5, 45. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God is good to everybody. God is good to the righteous and the unrighteous, the goodness of God is displayed materially and otherwise on the righteous and the unrighteous. But what David describes here is something deeper and something better. He's talking about the anointing of God. He's talking about the blessing of God. If you've been with us since last fall, you know we went through the Beatitudes together, those first passages in, in Matthew chapter 5. And one of the things that we learned last fall is that there's a difference between the goodness of God and the blessing of God. And way too often we see material wealth or being in good health or some kind of wor worldly success as a sign that God has blessed us. We even have that hashtag on social media, blessed. 
right? Just took my vacation to Aruba, hashtag blessed. Just got my new car, hashtag blessed. Look at me in my new job, hashtag blessed. I, I've never seen a social media post that said, just got a divorce, hashtag blessed. Just went, just went and filed for bankruptcy, hashtag blessed. Because we're always associating the blessing with how we're personally doing. And we're associating how we're personally doing with something external. Well, this entire poem is about an internal tranquility that is immovable regardless of what's going on around you. That's better than having your circumstances change, isn't it? Because they can always change back. Things are going to be good. Things are going to be bad. We talked about that last week. We live in a fallen world, and I don't mean to make you mad, but if you're still here and alive and breathing, you're adding to that fallenness because you're a rotten, stinking sinner just like your pastor. And so we're fallen people living in a fallen world. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to always end up right, and which means our external circumstances are going to constantly be in flux, and we have to learn how to live with a sense of internal tranquility. And the way to do that, according to David's disposition here in verse 5, is you got to stop chasing the fake blessings. Those might be evidences of his goodness, but not his blessing, not his anointed. Start chasing the one who has promised to bless. And then when you become anxious, frustrated, depressed, yeah, you, you can go there, right? And you can refuse to confuse the goodness of God with the blessing and the anointing of God. So this morning, David's going to help us dislodge those two from each other by teaching us that your anointing is not connected to that material goodness. It's connected to God's imputed holiness into you. To live at peace, that peace has to be a righteous peace. If I'm standing right before God, and everything about the gospel tells me that's not just possible, it is reality now relative to the complete and perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been given to me, anointed, approved because of my standing before God based on that perfection, cleansed of my sins with God as my shepherd. That's, that's what brings peace. So how do we get there? Let me give you three challenges, beginning with this one. A, aspire to a pure satisfaction, a kind of satisfaction that is pure. David says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, this is a, a herding analogy used to describe a, a type of medication that was applied to sheep. This oil that was given to the sheep had a twofold purpose. The first was to keep away dangerous insects that could infect the sheep with their bite. And the second was it, it was used as a cleansing agent. It would clean the skin of the sheep to keep the other contaminants off the skin. I'm going to unpack a little bit of this as we move forward together. But remember that throughout this psalm, David is taking us through a year in the life of a shepherd and his sheep. And he's doing that as a means of illustrating his own relationship with God and the peace it brings him. And so far, we've already been through the entire winter. We've gone through the valley of the shadow of death up to the top of the mountain. It's now summertime, and the table has been set, what we referenced last week. You prepare a table in front of me in the presence of my enemy. So everything's been set. The sheep are all arranged. They're made to lie down. The green pastures surround them. The enemies still surround them, and it's summertime. And summertime in this part of the world is fly time. And that's a dangerous time for sheep. In fact, one of the things you learn looking at the background of a passage like this is the most dangerous enemy to a sheep. Do you know what it is? It's called a nose fly. 
Like, what, what's a nose fly? Well, a nose fly is a fly that flies up your nose. Yeah. But this one's deadly. This isn't like me riding my Harley and... Right? Or if you've been out on a run or out on a bicycle and you've ever had an insect go up your nose or go in your ear, go in, it, 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 it freaks you out, to be sure. It's this sort of temporary discomfort. But to the sheep, what would happen is it flies up the nose, it lays eggs... Those eggs become larvae, and then the, move, the, the movement inside drives the sheep insane. All right, think about the worst inner ear infection you've possibly ever had, where, you know, or vertigo or something like that, and that's what's going on in that sheep's head. To get relief, sometimes if, they get, if it gets bad enough, they will beat their own heads up against rocks and trees and sometimes even badly injure or kill themselves. And so as long as that insect occupies the nostrils of that sheep, that sheep can't eat, it can't drink, it can't sleep. Eventually, it's going to die. And so the shepherd uses the oil as a repellent. It'll pour it down the nostrils to kill any flies and any larvae that might harm the sheep. And then they would use it for a secondary purpose. They have a layer of skin underneath their wool called lanolin. It's really oily. So think for a moment about just a, a layer of skin that's naturally oily, mixed with wool, in a dusty environment. Think about that for a minute, okay? Now I'm a dirt magnet, so I can, I can identify. I can identify. I could walk, I think, sometimes into an OR and come out and have something on my shirt. I don't know how I do that. Uh, but for all you fellow dirt magnets out there, God bless you. You know, we're, we're, maybe we're just keeping it off of the rest of the world. But here's the advantage I have that a sheep at this time doesn't have. I go home every night and I take a shower and I can get it off. This sheep has to have some help in this regard. They need anointing. And think about that. They've already, they're already at the top of the mountain. They've already got the green grass. They've already got the food set out there. The table's been set like we talked about last week. They don't need anything more to eat. That's been supplied already. They don't need anything more to drink. That's been supplied by that melting snow on top that we've been talking about in this series. They don't need sleep. They need anointing. They need anointing. And what David's communicating through this example is clear. You and I need that as well. We need the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit to repel the things that threaten us and to remedy the sin that already is hurting us. That's the biblical imagery of anointing. It's not been well understood in the Western church. And you can tell just by, by our colloquialisms. Oh, listen to his voice. He is such a wonderful singer. He is so anointed. Listen to her bring the word. My, how she can preach. She is so anointed. If the ministry scandals of just the last three years have taught us anything or should teach us anything, it is that you can do what I do for a living and not even have any character, let alone the anointing of God. There's got to be something else deeper there. Oh my goodness, look at what, it, who cares what they're like in the spotlight? What are they like when nobody's looking? Who cares? 
And so satisfaction and peace, that's, that's what we're talking about here. And it comes from the approval and the blessing of God. It, it's about a life that, that only God can bring you that will cause him to say of you what he said of our Lord Jesus. I am well pleased. That's what it means. It means to carry the approval of God. And that righteousness and blessing, it always brings with it satisfaction and peace. And that peace is rooted in a promise that we find in the Messianic Psalms. Look at Psalm 45. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness before your companions. Real anointing brings satisfaction. Real anointing brings peace. A lot of people running around today saying, well, if you don't have all the material goods you need or if there's something wrong with your health, there must be something wrong with you. You haven't had enough faith or you haven't prayed and used the right magic words, but mostly it's this, you, you must lack anointing. Do you know what the Word of God says? It says if you actually had anointing, you wouldn't be chasing all that other stuff because you'd be content with where God has placed you. In fact, some of the folks right here at Covenant who have blessed my soul, they've blessed each other, have been folks who found this peace. I, 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 listen, I know the last 18 months have been hard. I get it. We, we had it so good for so long that it's difficult. And I, I, I don't want to be unsympathetic to us because relative to where we've pretty much always been, at least all of my adult life, I recognize it's been hard, but compared with what the rest of the world deals with almost every single day, it really hasn't been that hard. The last 18 months have been a beta test. And so much of our culture, including many people who call themselves Christian, have demonstrated just how adolescent and fickle they can be, even with their own faith. And right in the middle of all that, is all kinds of bona fide, legitimate suffering. Legitimate suffering. Next June will mark my 30th anniversary being in ministry. I have not seen more suffering, more sickness, more internal and external struggle in my entire ministry as I have seen in the last 18 months. It's been hard. It's been hard. But I'm going to tell you what else I've seen. Something that's blessed me, something that's challenged me. People that don't even realize that they were preaching to their pastor because they weren't trying to preach to their pastor. They're just living their lives. And I'm going, oh my gosh, where am I? You ever met people like that? You're like, oh my goodness, what has happened to me? I, am I even a follower of Jesus? Like you, you meet people and they live their lives in such profound, obviously spirit-empowered ways. I, I meet those people all the time. You're surrounded by them right now, or you may be one of them. People that have suffered the most, chronic illness, financial strain, family stress, they're grieving their losses. They're not naive about it. They're not denying reality, but by their own testimony, they will tell you they are the most spiritually fed and satisfied people in this church family because they have learned by hard experience what David testifies to here when he says, Lord, I have your holiness. I have your protection from all things that are harmful to me. And I am satisfied with that. It is more than enough to give me peace. 
It's more than enough for me to live with a tranquil heart, even if the whole world really does come apart. It was Benjamin Franklin that used to say, contentment will make a poor man rich, and discontentment will make a rich man poor. And folks, Benjamin Franklin was a godless man-whoring pagan, and he understood that. So what happened to what happened to us? What happens to me? Righteous peace begins by aspiring to this kind of pure satisfaction that we see described in, in Ecclesiastes 9. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. That's the approval you and I need to seek. That's where it starts. I want the approval, the anointing, the blessing of God. Aspire to a satisfaction that is pure. Secondly, advance in a satisfaction that is personal. Now, here's, here's where it gets tough. You anoint, notice the possessive tone here, my head with oil. My head. I'm, I'm looking at one guy, and he's in the mirror. Here's what David is not doing. He is not looking around to see what everybody else has that he doesn't have. Because he knows and is content with what a shepherd gives him, and he's satisfied. You know, it's interesting. The sheep in this day could have been thrashing, letting insects and other pests get to it. But as soon as that oil is applied, there's an immediate change in behavior. No more frenzy, no more irritability, no more restlessness. And it's the same way with us. No more frustration, no more running around looking for what we don't have, but profoundly thankful for what God has given us. Do you want that? Then you got to keep the focus on your own head. I get the Wall Street Journal delivered on Saturday mornings, and it had a magazine in it that on occasion will come about every four to six weeks. And I've never once in my life opened that thing. You got stuff like that, you almost feel guilty just taking it and going right to the recycle bin with it. It's not that I agree or disagree with it. I don't even know what's in there. Like, I've never cracked it. I get the journal to read the paper, not the magazine. But, but I decided, I don't wonder what's in this thing. And so I opened it. The first 14 pages were ads for all kinds of stuff. And I guess it was designed to make me think I needed the same kind of watch that James Bond wears. I don't know. But I kind of have a standing rule, and I'm, I'm a pretty... Simple guy, I know y'all make fun of me about using big words. Look, seminary did that to me. I really at heart am a pretty simple dude. And if I can't pronounce the name of the watch, I ain't buying it. I certainly ain't paying 3000 freaking dollars for it. I'm just not going to do it, right? And I looked up, I held it up to my wife, and I said, what? How do you pronounce this? She's like, I don't know. But, but what's the design in that? It's trying to get something out of you, Okay. It, what's it, there's an anxiousness that it's trying to raise so that you'll go purchase something, okay? And, and it's rooted in the fact that Daniel Craig has one of those things, and I ain't got it. And if I got one of those things, maybe people would look at me like they look at Daniel Craig when the truth is I ain't near as pretty as Daniel Craig. So, or as popular as Daniel Craig. And I, but you know what? You know what keeps me from getting so upset about that? Just look at my own head, such as it is. 
and say, Lord, this, this is what you've given me. This is what you've given me. So I can promise you, look, there's a lot of, your pastor's imperfect like anybody. I got, I got struggles in a lot of different areas, but I can promise you, you will never see me on an episode of Pastors and Sneakers. You just won't. Okay. Because I got one word for somebody that would pay $9,000 for sneakers. Stupid. Okay. I just don't, I just, that, that's my personal opinion. I'm not saying, well, maybe I am, but you know, it's like, I'm looking at this, what in the world? But, but there's, a, there's an aspiration to have what you don't have. In fact, it can really mess you up. There's a story about a man who became so envious of his friends because their homes seemed bigger and more luxurious than his. And I know we got tons of realtors in here. Y'all don't get mad at me, okay? But, but he decided, I'm going to put this house up for sale, and I'm going to get something with all the new gadgets and all the new appliances and everything so I can kind of keep up with the Joneses. And he secured a seller's agent. And the minute that person went to work trying to sell his house, he went to the Internet every single day trying to look for his perfect home. And about two weeks in, he found one. His home hadn't sold yet. So he calls his seller's agent and says, is there anything, any way we can work out like a bridge loan or something? i got to have this house now. And he said, well, give me the, the number, the reference number on that, and I'll, I'll look it up, and I'll find out where the home is, and, and I'll tell you what the options are. And a few moments later, the realtor called him back. He said, did you find the house? He said, yeah, I found the house. Where's it at? He said, you're standing in it. It's your house. There are times when you have what you need, but you might be convinced otherwise by the external, external circumstances of your life that you got to have something else. And that's what comparison will do. Everybody else, every one of us in this room right now can find people in this room who are better off than you are and who are worse off than you are. Did you know that? Certainly I can find them out in the the panhandle of tri-state area today, I can find people who can afford that watch that I can't afford or pronounce. And I can find people who that watch costs more than what they make in a month. You can always find people who are better off than you or worse off than you. And the temptation there, when, when you find yourself better off than others, you, the temptation is greed. I, I got to keep what's mine. I got to keep my status. I can't slide back into something. I got to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. When, when you find yourself worse off than others, the temptation is envy and jealousy. And, and you know what? Enough individual, well, let me just be blunt. If you take 300 million individual souls with that kind of disposition, you know what kind of culture they'll create? The kind where the 1% want to build bigger barns and the other 99 want to burn them all down. And it just becomes a crazy cycle. That's what you'll create. Sound familiar? All because of greed and envy rooted in the tendency of me to compare myself with how other people are doing. Folks, that's about as unrighteous as it gets. No wonder we don't have peace. David says, my attention's on my own head. And Lord, you've anointed my head. So let 300 million people that have a disposition of comparison, let, if we were to somehow be able to switch that, let, let's, let's just take 100 million of them, because that's how many people claim to know Jesus in this country, and, and let's have them live in the kind of anointing that's promised here. What does that do to a culture? Well, you know, our whole, I mean, like, 
Pastor, the whole reason you've had such great returns this year is our, our whole economic system is based on consumption. We, it might just kill the economy. No, it would transform it into something better. It would. It really would. People are just going, I'm looking at my own head. I'm not telling you not to buy something new if you want something new. I've got Christmas presents already in boxes in my study for my family. Go have a ball with it. Thank God for Amazon. I don't know how, do y'all have any idea how we ever actually went to a store and Christmas shop for other people? Because I don't know how I ever had that kind of time. I just don't. Right? I mean, I'm saying have fun with it. Money, material possessions, man, they are, they are good gifts from a good God. They are horrible gods for you to chase after. And the answer to stop worshiping them and to start worshiping the one true and living God is, is a satisfaction. Now, where's that come from? Well, this shepherd gives personal attention to each of his lambs. Did you know at the end of the day, he put all the sheep in the sheepfold, and as they entered, he checks each one. More pests, more sores. He anoints them all over again, if necessary, every single one of them. Here's the key, finding a satisfied peace. Stop comparing yourself with other people and remember that you might get all the wealth in the world and then eventually lose it. You may have all the friends in the world and eventually lose them. There's nothing in this life that is temporary that is not also fleeting. But no matter what your station in life, if this God is your shepherd, you will never, ever ever, ever get lost in the crowd. You just won't. So aspire to a satisfaction in him that is pure. Advance in a satisfaction in that relationship with him that is personal. And then, then will come this result. You'll live in a satisfaction that's perpetual. He says, my cup overflows. Applied to the sheep, it would be expressed in this way. My coat is completely saturated. You know what David's telling us here? God not only gives us what we need, God not only gives us just what we need, God gives us more than we need because he's a giver. He just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. You know, in most places that I've been in the Middle East, there's a custom for hosts that want to show hospitality to you, and it usually comes in this little bitty glass about that tall that's full of hot tea. And one of the things I've noticed, Turkey, Syria, different places I've been, there's a common kind of culture there where they bring that hot tea out and they set it at your, at your, pl at, at your plate, at your place, wherever you are. And, and throughout the evening, not one single time will they let that little, I'm talking little bitty glass, okay, will they let it get less than half full. That's a sign that they're enjoying your company, that they love having you there that you are their honored guests bring out little lumps of sugar in case you want to drop that in there and sweeten it a little bit now i have my limit on how much tea i'll drink so there is also thankfully a discreet way without insulting my host that i can tell them no thank you you take this little bitty spoon that's about that big and you lay it over the top of the glass 
And that's how they know not to bring anymore. Now, there's one final thing you should know, in case you would ever get to this part of the world. When they come and take your glass away, it's time for you to go home. <laughs> yeah. Y'all ever had that guest that kind of overstayed their welcome? We had a vacuum cleaner salesman. I was a teenager. It was almost 10 o'clock at night. I'll never forget my daddy looking at my mama and going, honey, we got to go to bed so this poor man can go find his house. Right? You can, it, it's time to go, right? We've got little discreet ways. We probably have ways. I mean, maybe you wish you had a way to do that. Do you have more coffee? Yeah, but not for you. There's always a limit in there, no matter how gracious the host. Here's what David's saying. God will never, ever take the cup away. He won't. And because of that knowledge, he's living with this constant disposition that no matter what's happening around them, he says, Lord, you, you have blessed me beyond measure. How, how many of us live with that disposition? How many times have we lost that disposition and wondered why there's inner turmoil? See, for most of us, our lack of peace and satisfaction has nothing to do with what we don't have. It's neglect to thank God for. It's connected to what we refuse to recognize is already ours. I mean, how, how long have we already been up? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. Did you get up at 7, 8? Some of you may have gotten up at 8.45. Right? You've been up at least a couple of hours. How many times have you thanked God since you got up? And for what have you thanked him? Yeah, exactly. When we, when we get up, I got a heart that still beats right now that belongs to him. It is not mine. Everything I have belongs to him. The breath in my lungs belongs to him. Sometimes I get up, like when I was in the woods yesterday, and I just thank God that it's quiet. Dads, can I get a witness? Yeah. Right? But it, you, can, you can thank God for all manner of things that he's bringing into your life. What have you thanked him for? There's a story about a Quaker leaning on his fence one afternoon, watching his new neighbor move all kinds of plush furniture and electronic gadgets and modern appliances and costly wall paintings. And after it had all been moved in, he started talking with his neighbor. I'm, yeah, I'm new to the neighborhood. I got this new job, and it, it caused me to relocate to this part of the part of the world and here's my five-year plan and the kind of job I want to have and the kind of schools I want to send my kids to and the, the kind of car I want to be driving and all those kinds of things. And the Quaker looked at him, was an older man, and he said, well, that's all well and good. And, and he's right about that. There's nothing wrong with setting goals for yourself. But then the, then the Quaker said this, if you ever miss one of those goals or fail in some way in achieving something, you know, getting something that you want, Come on over to the house, and I'll do my best to teach you how to live without it. Because you might not need everything that you think you need. What, what functional idol do you need to let go of? Because that, that's worship. That's what it is. You're so focused on something, you can't think. It's right there, and you just, you're, it, God belongs there. And nothing and no one else. 
All right. So what, what's the functional idol that you need to let go of? Okay. It's, it, it just, and it depends, right? I, I, I'm not saying not a lot of, there's not a lot at stake in your job and your goals and, and all of those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, who won an NCAA Division I or two yesterday? It, it's just a game. It's just a game. Trust me, my team, I have to remind myself of that this season. It, it's just a game. But it really, you know what, when they won two national championships, it's just a game. It's just a game. And we got little league people running around. Like, my understanding of, we had a, we had a football season out here, which we always enjoy, and the kids, man. And it doesn't seem to matter how many times you can say it until you're blue in the face. This is a non-competitive league. We want the kids to have fun. We want the kids to know Jesus. If you want to compete and be all about the win, look, I get that. I'm competitive too. There's a county league. Go join it. That's fine. And so the enrollment was such that we had to go from, my understanding was seven on seven to six on six. And we actually had someone who went, my entire offensive strategy is, but dude, you ain't Bill Belichick. You're coaching five-year-olds. What, what, what is it with this? Calm down. What happened? They, boy, the focus was just aimed in the wrong direction here. David says, I'm at peace with his presence. God doesn't just supply what you need when you need it. He also promises to be your supplier for as long as you live. And if you'll rest in that provision, you will live in a perpetual and righteous satisfaction. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There's an evangelist of a generation ago named Jack Hinton visited a leper colony once. He was doing a series of services, and on the last night of the service, he asked if there were, was any request for songs. And there was a lady that he noticed was there every night, but she always was in the back, always had her back turned toward the corner and just kind of kept herself covered up. But that night, she had a request, so she, she turned around. This was the first look that Hinton would get at this woman. And she raised her hand to make the request. And that was when he noticed that her hand had no fingers left on it. As she turned to speak, he noticed that her ears and her nose were gone. And she said, Brother Hinton, I'd like for us to sing Count Your Many Blessings. If you don't know what that is, it's an old hymn from the early 20th century. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. That's, that's what the lyrics say. And the evangelist lost it. That's the challenge. I, I told you earlier, there, there are people over the last 18 months that have challenged me, and I go home and go, wow, I got, I got to do better at following Jesus. This is one of those stories. The preacher broke. He had to leave the podium to gain his composure. They came back, and they honored the request. And after the meeting, somebody asked him, well, you, you think you'll ever be able to sing that song again? And he goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, but I'll never be able to sing it the same way ever again. 
That's the life that God promises you and me. That precious lady, that child of God, just like David could say, I have the righteousness of God. I stand clothed in the perfection of Jesus Christ, given to me by the death of Jesus Christ. And so I have the presence of God in my life and the power of God in my life. I, I don't need fingers. I don't need ears or a nose to stand in that anointing. And that's the challenge for us. Do we really believe that? It's a challenge for me. Because it would be legitimate for anybody in this room or on the other side of that camera to look at me right now and go, yeah, that's, that's easy for you to say, big boy. You've had a fairly good life, and I have. And you've got really good health. I have. Last time I was in the hospital, I was born there. You... you, you you're probably doing okay financially. We are. We're, we're, we're just, God's been good to us. I, I've not suffered the way a lot of people suffered. I cannot speak from experience. But I ain't the only one that can preach sermons around here. And some of the most powerful are sitting right next to you. Some of the most powerful are people that have been through things that are unimaginable. And they're just like this lady who, with everything she suffered, could live in righteous peace. And so can we. I, I want to challenge you to live in that peace. That's my prayer for you, is to live in that peace. I, I can't promise you. You know, I, I fell into this trap right when the pandemic started. I don't know how many of y'all remembered that, but how many of you remember? I, I did a, when we shut everything down, and for 10 weeks we shut everything down. And, and here's what I said. I said, guys, look, we're going to get through this, Okay. We're going to get through this. Listen, six months from now, we're not even going to be talking about this. How many of y'all remember your pastor lying to you? <laughs> right? I, <laughs> what was I doing? Well, I, here's a, it wasn't, I, I promise you it was not out of some malevolent intent. I love you. I wanted to see you well. I did not want anybody to get sick. I wanted things to go back to normal just like the rest of you. I wanted you to believe it. I wanted you to have the faith to believe it. And so in the middle of all that, I said something profoundly ignorant and stupid with really good intent, still ignorant and stupid. And what the Lord has taught me and what this psalm can teach you is it doesn't have to get better in six months. In fact, it can get worse. God is still faithful. My cup still overflows. You come to Jesus, you can get that. You stay focused on Jesus, you can keep that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for a promise that you are from experience seeking to teach us all in this time and in this place. Father, may your spirit permeate our presence here. And Lord, may you be honored and glorified by a people who respond to your word with a disposition that says, my cup overflows. Lord, you know my own heart. I'm a fixer. I, I want to do something. Feeling powerless to address something. 
is one of the most frustrating things in my own life. But I thank you for times when I have walked away after praying with people going through unimaginable suffering these last 18 months and realized on the basis of their testimony a more powerful message than I could ever deliver because I haven't yet had those experiences that you're the only one that can really make it right. But nothing else has to get fixed in order for you to make it right in order for you to set them at peace. And that tranquil heart is there, and it is available to your people, Lord. May they grasp onto it with all their hearts. And may it begin today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.